Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Christian Casas. Christian Casas is a first-generation Cuban-American from Hialeah, Florida. He's currently a graduate student at The Ohio State University, pursuing an MFA in sculpture. Casas' curiosity about economic accessibility and labor connected to art making is an effort to bridge gaps and collapse class boundaries in order to question conventions about objects and the accessibility of art itself. Bienvenido a este episodio, Christian. Gracias. Christian, tell me about growing up in Hialeah. Was the Cuban culture always around you? Yeah, I would say Hialeah is a really interesting place to grow up as a Cuban-American, but also in general, um, it has a mix of uh, the United States, but also Cuba itself. I mean, for me, it felt like Cuba with the amenities of the United States, mm. uh, the buildings, the people. A lot of the time you go you go into spaces and no one speaks English. Everyone's speaking Spanish. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it was really interesting for me because um, I didn't know any better. Right? I didn't know any different about growing up anywhere else. All right. Did you grow up speaking Spanish? Yeah. Yeah. Bilingual. Grew up speaking Spanish at home and then English uh, outside of the home. And yeah, kind of battled a little bit with that. I feel like you cannot speak Spanish in Miami. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially in Hialeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no way you can get anything done. Right. Right. Um, you've worked as an educator in Florida. What type of work did you do there? Yeah. So a couple of different things. I worked with the migrant education program uh, as an educator. So traveling to different sites uh, the migrant workers were working at mm -hmm. um, and teaching English classes on site. Mm -hmm. So they would get off their eight-hour, 12-hour shift mm -hmm. of picking watermelons or blueberries, and I would just uh, set up a makeshift class for, mm -hmm. you know, 45 to 100 people wow. between the ages of, like, 18 to, you know, in their 60s to mm -hmm. try to, <laughs> you know, get learn something. And then also I was in the school system basically as a liaison mm -hmm. Um, for the migrant workers, kids, making sure they got tutoring. We would set up after-school programs. Um, but it was a very difficult and interesting job. Um, I also worked as um, as a paraprofessional with e with uh, ESC, so special ed. Mm -hmm. And I've worked uh, paraprofessional, and I've taught English as well within the high school setting and, and university. Was that around Hialeah, too, or in different parts of Florida? No, no, that was in northern central Florida. So I went to got my undergrad at the University of Florida, mm -hmm. so Gainesville, Florida. So I was mo mostly in Alachua County. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So you've also lived in Utah, and that's a very, <laughs> very different place than Florida and Ohio, even. Um, and especially, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, like you can't find find Cortadito in Salt Lake City. Uh, so tell me about your work with the International Rescue Committee there um, and, and, and that first maybe uh, experience away from maybe a, a large Latino community. Yeah. So I moved to Utah 
uh, Salt Lake City specifically for this job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had never been to the West. Mm-hmm. I didn't even go to Salt Lake City. Um, I just accepted the job and, and moved within like two weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was my first time living out of Florida for an extended period of time. At least I knew I was going to be there for a year because I was working through AmeriCorps. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, really intense. I, I don't think I experienced that much culture shock anywhere else. Or I, I didn't think it, I was, I was like capable of experiencing that. Because um, it was in such a subconscious way that it took a really long time for me to realize what it is that I was feeling. I was feeling very out of place. Mm-hmm. I felt a lot of times like... Um, my personality was being met with this like rigid tension mm-hmm. and it sort of made me think like, what's, well, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Or like, why am I not seeing myself or mm-hmm. why am I sort of like striking out even in sort of like day to day conversations where I was like, maybe I need to chill out or, or not speak a certain way or, mm-hmm. or try to sort of adapt more to my environment. Um, but that's also really taxing. Right. Uh, but I mean, it was, Really, really interesting being out in the West, meeting and learning about uh, a different kind of landscape. But it did make me feel, did make me feel sort of this cultural distance, mm-hmm. um, which I couldn't really pinpoint what this feeling of disorientation was of uh, of otherness. Mm-hmm. You know, you read about it and you, it's described in all these different models, um, but I, I, I just I I couldn't pinpoint it. And I think not until after I left. Was I fully able to like understand what I was feeling? Mm-hmm. And even now, living out here in Ohio, um, I still feel that cultural distance, but I think I can navigate it a little bit better. Or, or I guess I'm not really so concerned about trying to make that feeling go away. If anything, I want to try to engage it and put it at the forefront mm-hmm. of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, when I was out in Utah, I was working at uh, the International Rescue Committee. So it was a resettlement agency start, mm-hmm. started by Albert Einstein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they do really, really great, amazing, amazing work. And I was so grateful that um, they allowed me to do to be their digital literacy coordinator. Mm-hmm. So again, working within the school systems, creating programming for new Americans, refugee students. Um, what population did you work with mainly or was it different? Yeah, it was everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. You know, I'd be working with a client from Burmese, and then I'd be working with a client from Congo, mm-hmm. and then I'd be speaking Spanish with some dude from Venezuela. Right. So it would be a range mm-hmm. of uh, education level, ages, because uh, I was not only doing digital literacy for students, but I was also doing digital literacy for adults. So mm-hmm. making sure they had affordable internet in their homes, they were they had access to devices and that was happening through grants and partnerships with companies like eBay uh, and Google. So it was really, really interesting. I was kind of thrown into this position and I think it was like the second year mm-hmm. that I was going and I didn't realize the amount of um, not so much power, but the ability of, of facilitating something larger than me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, something that for me, you know, was office work, but for someone else, it can be like life changing. Right. And I, it was really interesting contrast of that, of seeing this work uh, that I was doing sort of come to life in mm-hmm. the outside world, much like art sort of happens. You right. work in a studio and eventually someone's like, hey, come come put your stuff over here. And you or get come, to see come it. record a podcast and yeah. talk about your work. <laughs> 
Uh, Christian, were you always a creative person? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. I guess when I was younger, I was like a class clown. (laughs) I I couldn't really pay attention uh, in school. So I'd always try to find something to do or, or think about. But as far as creativity... Yeah, I, I did band. I did a little bit of like drama and 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 literature. Mm-hmm. I think in the arts or specifically just like creativity is where I found uh, a point of orientation for mm-hmm. myself. I I grew up with a family, um, you know, that their whole lives, my grandmother, my mom, and my uncle was, was work. Mm-hmm. You know, was work, making sure that they had food on the table, making sure that I can sort of prosper and and grow. So I never really thought about art as a possibility, but also something naturally that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never really thought that I needed to maybe even go to school for it. I could just do it and it's okay if no one sees it, mm-hmm. but I just needed to get that like physical energy out because then I'll explode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what pushed you to come to Ohio State and pursue your MFA? <laughs> did you do your bachelor's in something yeah. arts related? No, no. no. I did I did my bachelor's in English with a focus in film studies on aesthetic theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like ch- just trying to figure out like who who said what? Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. who said what and why? Who created these conventions of aesthetics in mm-hmm. society uh and, you know in the way we like uh navigate our spaces. Um and I got my minor in linguistics with a focus on on TESOL, so teaching mm-hmm. English as a second language. Mm-hmm. So I really was going towards this path in education while still making art. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was in the University of Florida, mm-hmm. I started up a, a gallery with a friend of mine called Moisturizer Gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, I saw that as like a passion project mm-hmm. or, you know, I'll, I'll do this thing, but not really think of it as like a career mm-hmm. Um and I've I've just been working for the last like four or five years, making art and applying to shows and and writing and and doing things. And I think I became very not so much jaded, but I felt uh, a lot of immaterial labor and emotional labor that I was putting into these education based jobs and using myself as a conduit mm-hmm. to do this work for the betterment of other, others. But I myself felt that my glass was empty. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like I had the time. Or space to do the things I, I wanted to do from a, from the age of fifteen. I've been you know working a job and going to school, mm-hmm. so I've always just known to like work, 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 mm-hmm. and I need to put put my body and my mind on the line to help others. Um, but then I, I took a step back and realized like, well, what would make me happy, or, or how can I be sort of more useful? How can I navigate these spaces of education, humanitarian work, and sort of like the humanities. Um, visual arts Mm -hmm. um, how can I use them to my advantage as a way to work within a system to help others right Mm -hmm. Um, so I decided to to apply to grad school yeah Mm -hmm. and Ohio State was really really amazing the program here three-year full tuition program Mm a lot of great professors and and colleagues Um, I came here and I just felt welcomed again I had never been here in my life and I (laughs) and you just moved (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I came, I came to like a dinner uh, that Anne Hamilton was having and, you know, she, it's like in this huge warehouse and it's all candlelit and it's beautiful and everyone's smiling and they know your name. They're like, wow, I love your work. And you're like, really? Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was kind of like a no brainer because I was like, I'm, I'm 
maybe I'll have this opportunity again, but something at this scale, mm-hmm. um, there is no way that I could pass it up. So I'm, I'm happy and I'm, I feel very privileged to be here. And you're starting your third or second year? <laughs> second year. <laughs> second year. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the strange times, right, of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> what to do with all this time and space. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Christian, you had an exhibit out earlier this month titled Dímelo Cantando, which you describe as one that illustrates events informed by your family's experience immigrating to America from Cuba in the 1970s. You describe it as sad, humorous, and traumatic, and you use cartoon-like scenes from the lives of your abuela, mama, y tú. Tell me about the journey of creating this work. Yeah, dímelo cantando. Yeah, it's it's been uh, a body of work that I didn't really think I would ever make. Um, I found myself in my studio um, for five to eight hours a day, sort of making work as I have before, um, but without all the constraints that I had before, right? Like I had a full-time job mm-hmm. uh, working within education and so that would or labor ideas. So that would inf- inform my studio practice. So when I got here, I didn't have sort of anything to inform my studio practice mm-hmm. besides like, all the theory that I had read mm-hmm. <laughs> coming into school and all the theory that I was meant to read now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to sort of uh, remove a layer in my work um, and just use myself, mm. right? Not use anyone else's story, not use sort of this theoretical idea or sort of a narrative that's much larger, just like doing a lot with a little bit. Mm. So while I was home, I, I uh, back in Miami, I was with my grandma and just sort of talking with her about things. Um, sometimes I'll just bring up random stories and I'd be like, do you remember this? Like, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. You know, as a way to sort of like deal with trauma, but also uh, just to hear sort of the way I experience things. Uh, I've noticed is very different than my way my parents mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. things happening. So, and so for me, the, the the body of work from Dimelo Cantando, it's really me trying to find understanding within these stories, mm-hmm. right? Like each uh, each piece um, is plexi engraved by hand, and they sort of fa- uh, follow like this meme, almost like cartoon line um, form where they have panels that tell a story. Some of them are like me coming home drunk for the first time, and I'm illustrated as Bart Simpson and my grandma sort of like, because I'm in the bathroom throwing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and some of them are kind of sad, right? Sort of uh, when I was 15 years old, I had federal agents that came into my home um, serving a search warrant. Uh, and I was met with like a, a knock on my door. Mm-hmm. And when I opened the door, I had a gun to my face. And mm-hmm. um, so I sort of shut the door and I ran back under the sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, so really trying to figure out how I feel about these things mm-hmm. by just like putting them out and looking at them. Mm-hmm. Um, but realizing as I'm making this work that I don't really know how I feel about it and I don't even know how this looks. So I'm using cartoons that maybe uh, the viewer can associate some sort of meaning behind. But also for me, they were able to like capture really quickly what I was thinking or feeling without having to sort of like daunt on this like one specific moment that, that maybe, um, is very like intense for me and I don't fully know how to like feel about it, but I, I do think it's important that I'm like getting it out. 
mm-hmm. right? So there was these plexi images, and then there was these images um, that my mom would send to her father mm-hmm. once she came uh, to the states. So she would take photographs of her life, you know, her at work, um, the moment I was born, Christmas, all these moments, sort of to fill in her father. Mm-hmm. on her life now in the States. And she would write these essays in the back. Como hago, hola papi, estoy en el trabajo, besos. And in the images where I'm in them, as like a toddler, she would write uh, as if it was me. It's like, hola abuelo, eh, te quiero, soy tu nieto, Cristian, bye. And I was like, you know, an infant <laughs> child. Uh, so th- sort of those images, I'm getting to learn more about my mom mm-hmm. and her experience coming to the States and sort of, the way she thought about what she was doing um, and sort of what her life was like before I was born, right? Mm -hmm. Because I feel, um, maybe a lot of us feel as first-generation children of like immigrants or or even coming to somewhere else than your sort of like motherland, uh, there is this this moment of an inheritance that we all sort of feel and can be like, oh, this, I don't know where this is coming from, right? Like my, my grandma would tell me these stories uh, when it was raining about not taking a shower because the electricity <laughs> would come through the the faucet or like she would cover the mirrors when it was raining because uh, bad luck, the lightning would strike the mirror and then there would be bad luck and, and, and things like that. And, and you know, those are funny, but sort of, you know, they have to come from somewhere, right? And learning a little bit more about my grandma, that, that came from poverty, right? Sort of working in these cane fields, not having an education and sort of living this life where you're following these superstitions that were like brought onto you by your parents Mm -hmm. become her truth gave on to me they became my truth maybe when i was a kid and then i was like "Mm, no (laughs) so so it's yeah it's a really interesting body of work but it's very difficult when you're making um when you're basically just putting yourself on the front line Mm -hmm. right and sort of showing the most innermost uh like sensitive moments of your life and and making it into a visual work that you then sort of have to talk about uh, and explain the stories right because some of the times most of the work is in spanish Mm -hmm. uh, and there's no translations to the Mm -hmm. work uh, and you kind of meet them uh in the shadow like setting where um where the works are projected on the wall and you kind of have to sit with it and and try Mm -hmm. to figure out what's happening mm-hmm. right and the same way for me right it was really important that these works are sort of uh on plexiglass because uh, they, they represent this idea of, of these invisible stories that we all carry mm. that no one can really see but they make up who we are and i think we can try to push them push those stories away or not give them importance um but i think for me right now especially trying to f- figure out my own positioning with my cultural identity it feels very important that i'm thinking about these really small things because i think um they can very easily get brushed under the rug or or be forgotten right and Mm -hmm. even though some of them are are sad and and very intense uh i think there's something to to, to get out of them Mm -hmm. right and i think they they make the work i do feel a little bit more um meaningful not that the work that i wasn't doing before was meaningful but i think for me it's providing me a place of like healing and understanding mm-hmm. i went to to see the exhibit and and i um so i noticed right so the you had to see it at a, at a certain angle to see the the shadow and um and it caught my attention that you used a lot of pop culture 
you know, in your images. And so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about the use of that. Um, uh, it just caught me by surprise because I was thinking, like, I was, I went into the gallery expecting to see more of the Cuban culture, uh, but it's a mix, right? It's a mix, like you said, the language, but also, which is a reflection of, uh, you know, a Cuban American uh, kid growing up in the U.S. that is uh, also bom bombarded with this American pop culture, um, and which becomes also part of you. But then you have this Cuban stories of family. Um, and then you're putting them together. So can you talk a little bit more about, about that? Yeah. Um, I just generally have an interest in, in cartoons and sort of the way, um, within my own work, the way that like image and text work, uh, not only as mediums, but as like visual representations, mm -hmm. um, specifically within storytelling, right? Like I think, uh, it's really interesting to me how like an image of Bart Simpson can mm -hmm. evoke so much. Uh, nostalgia, but also can like pinpoint a feeling, right? Like mm -hmm. Pigpen from the Peanut cartoons. He's a mm -hmm. smelly kid. Right. <laughs> so if someone tells you to take a shower and then the next panel you see Pigpen, you're like, oh, this guy's really dirty. <laughs> but uh, I think also for me, it was a way to sort of complicate this relationship of being Cuban American, but and also being a Cuban that came from America. Mm -hmm. Sort of, because um, I, I, I don't know a lot about Cuba. Right. I, I, and what I do know has sort of been garnered from my own interests, like seeking out this information. You would think in a place where it's made up of so many Cubans, it's rich in history. And I guess it is, but it's rich in this history of iconography. Mm. Right. Patelito con guayaba, cafe con leche. You see the flag, Jose Marti, mm. maybe some Che Guevara, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, that that's how I learned about my culture and, and where I'm from and, and developed sort of my aesthetic eye. Um, also, I, 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 I generally use them as a tool to sort of defamiliarize the viewer, mm. right, about what art is and isn't, uh, right? There's this always talk about art with a capital A and mm. art, art with a lowercase a. Um, and I guess this is where some of my interest in aesthetic comes in. It's like, what, you know, what, what elements really make something up, right? How can I bring in stuff from the outside world into the into the white wall gallery and mm -hmm. things from the white wall gallery into the outside world so there's this interchange of aesthetics but also like environments that you encounter things so that hopefully you'll just get really disoriented and you're like okay well it's all bullshit <laughs> <laughs> right like n none of it matters and maybe all of it's fair game mm -hmm. right like maybe we can talk about uh something really being really powerful as far as like a brush stroke or a palette, mm. but also like, man, I really like the way you use that like Tom and Jerry figure. So for, for me, it becomes like a tool or a vehicle to sort of uh, embody this idea of, uh, of, of trying to push away aesthetic convention, mm -hmm. right? Like what are things supposed to look like? How, how, what elements are supposed to be presented to them? And if, right, if we're going to stick to those elements, uh, of of convention, right? Why does it have to be the same thing, right? Why 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 does it have to look the same for for everyone? So for me, it it feels like an experiment of still trying to figure out what my vocabulary that I want to use mm -hmm. as a visual artist. Um, and th this for me, the cartoons and sort of this meme 
uh, uh, format feels really right, mm. right? Because it doesn't carry this like weight uh, of his of like historical trauma, mm. but it can, mm-hmm. right? So the, the pig pen can easily turn into a figure um, that sort of is larger than the peanut cartoons. Um, where now I'm sort of I've started to shift my work a little bit more, thinking about uh, Cuban comics and uh, mm. the Cuban cartoons and sort of how that also shows the relationship of Cuba to the United States, right? These mm-hmm. comics, uh, they they talk a lot about the Cuban government, sort mm-hmm. of... Um, political. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. extremely political, but also play up on this idea of globalization uh, being this, like, horrible thing that the United States is going to use to take over the world. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 I and for me I can't help but to wonder that that's part of the trauma that Cubans carry once they they migrate um, to the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't I can't help but to think about that. That's something that until this day is a reason why sort of like uh, Cuban Americans um, think about politics, thinks about think about society, think about sort of uh, how to navigate their own spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Christian, when you were able to um, create uh, something new that related to you, to your personal story, were you surprised that the people that came to be sort of those protagonists or the or, or the stories that you were reaching for were those of your abuela and your mom when you when you in particular for this exhibit? Yes. I, I think I had this really large question of what is home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sort of is home this like physical place or is it just this idea of things we turn back to? Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm always turning back to these experiences um, that my mom or my grandmother had, but also sort of uh, the exchanges we've had in our relationship. I think with any family, you sort of have these ups and downs mm-hmm. um, as you would with any person in your life. So I think... I was having a moment where I was trying to heal. Mm-hmm. I was trying to understand sort of these traumas and um, sort of why my family uh, would let certain things happen mm-hmm. or, or, or understand why I was put in certain positions as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, not out of, not because I was upset, but because I thought it would be useful um, for me to have a better understanding of my own emotional capacity mm-hmm. right and and sort of I, I can speak to my parents and be like hey you know like i've been thinking about this can you can you talk to me a little bit more about it so it, it was kind of just a natural thing to start using my parents my family and myself mm-hmm. uh within my work right as as this as this medium right. that i'm now making work uh and not trying to subvert it right giving it the importance mm-hmm. give and allowing myself this space to feel this this moment of personhood to continue to ask these questions of home and, uh, and, and, and really try to still trying to figure out what that even means to me and, and hopefully making work or facilitating something that, that someone can step into and see themselves and, mm-hmm. or find an understanding, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that's, I think that's sort of the biggest thing with my work that regardless of the way I feel about it, it's taking up, this space that hopefully can do something bigger than me, right? If someone mm-hmm. comes in and they have a sense of indifference about different culture mm-hmm. or maybe hasn't ever even thought about this and this encounter of this language maybe starts having them think a little bit differently, mm-hmm. 
amazing, right? If, if, if someone who is also Hispanic or, or sort of uh, doesn't see themselves within spaces, within art, within art history, within museums, mm-hmm. within the institution, by me just doing this gesture, right, this physical gesture of, of making this work and putting mm-hmm. it up, hopefully that does something for someone. Right. Uh, I don't give the specific artworks that I make so much importance as much as I give the process uh, to get to the piece or the exhibition sort of the mm-hmm. that's sort of where I get most out of what I do right um, uh, I was very um, interested in your description of the photographs uh, that your mom uh, took of herself and like sent home or sent back to to your grandfather um, because I often looked at those pictures right when uh, my mom's pictures of me when I was a little baby that you know is you, but you have no memories of it, right? And so you just kind of imagine what was, you imagine what was going on. You know, I, I remember distinctly this picture of us at the beach, and I'm the youngest one, and she's wearing a bathing suit, which I hardly ever had seen her in a bathing suit. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of sitting on on the water, and then my brother is there too, and he's like right next to me. He's older, um, but he's sitting next to me sort of like, you know, ready for in case I fall or what, you know, something. And I always, and it's black and white, you know, and, um, and I always think of stories, right? Or imagine, imagine what, what was happening because I have no idea who took the picture. I've never asked who took the picture. I've actually never asked where that beach is. Um, and so I was interested in your, you know, you saying that, you know, the pictures of when you were a, a toddler and like your mom writing, uh, oh, this is es tu nieto, right? Um, and those memories that are not quite yours, right? That is you, but they're not yours. Um, and that you had to sort of maybe reach back and then put into an exhibit or compose it, you know, yeah. build it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I mean, for me, that body of work just sort of came about as like, uh, as an excuse to talk to my mom a little bit more specifically about things. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the sense that um, I could sort of show her an image mm. and sh- and present a, a context to her and then she would just talk. Mm. Um, whereas I, I found a difficulty, uh, maybe other, uh, you know, uh, kids have, have felt this way before where sort of uh, there was this emotional barrier between mm. yourself and, and your family um, due to their own trauma, their own experience. So it becomes very difficult to talk about really intense things. And I think um, for myself, going through a lot of uh, therapy um, and trying to find uh, healing for myself through that therapy, I knew that at a certain point I would have to sort of like bring what I've taken out of therapy sessions and, and sort of bring it to my family mm-hmm. as, a, as a way to find not just resolution, but I think as to start a larger conversation and, and open up this relationship where it just doesn't feel like you're my mom and, and I'm your son and mm-hmm. or like I'm your grandson and very you know. rigid yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I want to be like your friend or like mm-hmm. I want to be able to like not feel a little you know weird about certain certain parts in my life and and for for me those those images I'm still getting so much out of them mm-hmm. because my mother sent them to her father as a way of, of filling her in on this life that he would sort of never know. He was mm. never able to get a visa to come to the United States over and over again. He would get denied by mm. the embassy. And when he was dying, 
uh, my mother went back to Cuba mm-hmm. to sort of help him, I guess, settle in, mm-hmm. right? Uh, bought him a bed, all these things. And I think she knew and he knew that his time was coming. Mm-hmm. So she took these images back mm-hmm. with her. And uh, she would give me a couple of them. And I think the last time I was home, she gave me the full bag of images. And some of these images I've never seen in my entire mm-hmm. life. Uh, I I would see my, my mom in certain uh, contexts where I was like, what, you worked there or you had this car or like, you know, the same thing with like the beach. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow, this is, I, I didn't even know that we we knew this person. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it it's really interesting. And um, yeah, for, for me, the most fascinating thing is the amount of jewelry my mom would put on me as a child. <laughs> Like, I want to see this picture. Oh my! It's it, I, I have some of the jewelry at home. It's like a ring that I wore as a baby that says "baby." Uh, it's 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 like a baby tooth, and it's encased in like fourteen karat gold. Like I was blinged out as an infant, and I I don't understand sort of that mentality. Maybe it's just like growing up in Miami in the nineties. It's like you had to have that as a as a small child to sort of get your street cred or something. But for me, it was sort of like these decisions that my mom was making for her for her child were, were really, really interesting to me. <laughs> I would talk to her all the time. Why didn't you start a college one? That's a $200 chain around my neck. I, I don't understand that. It's interesting because I, yeah, the jewelry, I have, maybe we, I need to do a little bit more research on that. But I remember that too, like having a, una cadenita, no? De niña. Um, in um in a in a bracelet and it was gold like it wasn't like plastic you know it's an adornment Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. like we were we were being made to be uh, even more special than we we thought Mm -hmm. right we were giving these gifts Mm -hmm. um my my mom i was born on january 6th at the other oh even more (laughs) yeah yeah so this idea that like i am i am part of the gift Mm -hmm brought on uh, to the world the right and, and so i deserve everything especially being like an only child like very magriado to this idea of like tu, tu mi niño, eres mejor. Todo lo que tu haga va a ser bien. and i'm like yeah, yeah okay, okay. <laughs> christian tell me about the title um dímelo cantando i really i really like that title by the way <laughs> thanks yeah i mean again it goes back to my interest in like comics and um and like memes and and characters um it, it, it dímelo cantando is like one of these like colloquial things that that maybe they exist outside of Hialeah or Miami or just like guanaso like mm-hmm. you know like spanish like dímelo cantando <laughs> like that, that 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 you know i would hear that within songs but also i would hear that in conversations and a lot of the spanish that i picked up mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been to other parts of, of I've been to parts of South America. Mm-hmm. I've said certain colloquial things, mm-hmm. and they're like, Like, what are you, what are you saying? <laughs> right? It's like almost this this whole other language where "dímelo cantando" can be this a very emotional, heartfelt mm-hmm. moment, right? Of feeling so emotionally uh, involved with a feeling that you have to sing it. But also, like, you can't contain yourself, so you're going <laughs> to scream. And I would, I, you know, both of those things are very characteristic to, to Cubans, I feel, mm-hmm. at least for me. Right. So Dímelo Cantando is, like, also this way of, like, talking about gossip, mm. too. Like, you, you know, I had the story I have, to, I have to tell you. Nah, Dímelo Cantando, like, tell me it's singing. Like, tell right. me everything. Right. Uh, and it it kind of just came, just came up to my head. 
I, I wasn't really thinking too much about uh, the name of the show in relationship to the work. If anything, it was the last thing I talked about. I was like, mm, well, what, what do, you know, what do I call this? I was, I was thinking of very complicated names, but mm-hmm. Dimelo Cantando sort of came perfectly. And, mm-hmm. and, and through that title, um, I don't know if you noticed, but a, a part of the exhibition, there's some music that's playing and it's muffled in a room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear this music and it's very faint uh, and it's a playlist that I had my mom make, mm-hmm. a five-hour mm-hmm. playlist of songs. Um, the show was supposed to be sort of this embodied experience of my own experiences mixed in with this like idea of like contemporary art and sort of maybe even like urban landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that that, that music um, was like waking up as a child. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like in, in la sala uh, limpiando mm-hmm. and I would hear like Mark Anthony mm-hmm. or Daddy Yankee or, mm-hmm. or you know, and, which which for me now it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But at that time I was just like, stop, please. <laughs> like just turn that music <laughs> down. And, and and I think it it, it just does, Timolo Cantando just does so much to describe the show, even if you don't know Spanish. You know, mm-hmm. you translate that and you get this convoluted sentence on google translate that i think still does a lot for you like tell me it's singing what do you what do you mean right right (laughs) uh christian is there anything else you would like to add to this conversation about your work your life your plans for future exhibits yeah um right now i'm really focused on the cuban exodus um it's been something that's that has happened since the 19 late 1950s um there's been different moments in history with it mariel mm-hmm. um with uh detention camps in guantanamo bay um even as recently with like president obama sort of ending the the wet foot dry foot thing um allowing cubans to come into the united states uh so th- again like thinking about um this relationship that cuban immigrants have with Cuba once they're in the United States and how like myself as a first generation Cuban American associate with Cuba. Um, so th- thinking about the layers of trauma that our parents have gone through um, to get here and sort of uh, once you're here in the United States, uh, what does it mean to be Cuban? What does it mean to be a first generation Cuban American? How do you find a relationship with your homeland when there is so much injustice, so much oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there's a lot there. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. I'm making work and just kind of trying to figure out as I go. But I, I think um, I think there's a lot of um, rich history in that that could be very telling of sort of the psychological effects of trauma and how their inheritance uh, can go on to family members. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but also looking back at history and sort of analyzing it and, and and uh, and trying to figure out where where your own places in it can be really telling and, and helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also just this idea of Caribbean studies is is something uh, for me that's very very new, and specifically with uh, Caribbean studies focused on Cuba. You know, there's mm-hmm. there, you know there's only about fifty sixty years of sort of like material or. Mm-hmm. or or research has been done about that, right? Because there is such hard restrictions within art and with academia right. itself. So I feel that while I'm here and I have all this time and space and resources with OSU, 
um, I want to I want to do something with it. So when I come out of here, I have my own sort of like energy and positioning that I can go onto any field that I would like, or, or hopefully start working within humanitarian work and, and trying to make some change while ho hopefully being able to make art. Mm, great. Christian, muchas gracias por esta conversación. Gracias a usted. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Thank you.